Welcome to the English Florist Podcast. Today, Lindsay talks about finding the right customer, the who, why, and what of price questions, which leads into some further personal thoughts about the current costs of flowers and wholesale. Also today, making promises and the difficult conversations you may need to have with your clients as the cost of living rises. Welcome to another edition of the English Florist Podcast. And as you can hear, I am not crunching along the woodlands, pathways of Penwood or or even Green and Common, actually. Um, unfortunately, it's pouring with rain. Um, it's April. What can I say? We need the rain, so I'm not complaining. And I will be recording a little bit of um, this week's podcast out and about. But um, I've been away for the bank holiday weekend and I have returned to Zoom consultations as early as nine o'clock this morning. And so I'm just going through my emails, sitting in my study, um, just updating proposals. I feel like I'm in the stride now of my wedding season. I've got two weddings already under my belt. Um, I had one on a Saturday the weekend before last and then closely followed by one on a Wednesday. Um, and sometimes we think of weddings, midweek weddings, as um, smaller, um, less profitable, um, less important, dare I say. Absolutely not. I think in this day and age, midweek weddings are as big and, and as joyful and in, in no way in significant to a weekend wedding and my colleague Fee and I were just saying the other day how much we enjoyed doing a Wednesday wedding um, because we had the weekend off we we took Easter weekend off and as you know if you are an event florist or if you are a florist we tend to work weekends particularly um, with weddings uh, you set up on a Saturday um, you're working all day Thursday and Friday and then you clear down on a Sunday um, and the, a Sunday clear down can actually take all day. And so my weekend's gone. And before you know it, you're back on a Monday. So it was really fantastic to have a really beautiful, joyful, elaborate, extravagant wedding. Um, it was black tie. Um, people were wearing bow ties and tails. It was super, super smart. Um, and we really, really felt like it was a Saturday wedding. And so um, don't be sniffy if you are a florist and you're quoting for a midweek wedding. Um, I don't give any discount for a midweek wedding because I have to get those flowers in often over the weekend or first thing in this case on uh, on a Monday morning and so I'm preparing gearing up over the weekend um, weddings to me regardless of the day of the week they are the same price regardless um, there are no special dispensations very often I'm working weekends bank holiday Mondays um, I can work in the high wedding season you know 10 Two, uh, 10 days, two weeks in a row um, without a break. It's just literally one rolls into the other and you have to make hay whilst the sun shines. So um, I'm sort of back at it today, although I'm delighted to say I don't have any weddings until the end of the month. And so after clearing down on Wednesday, Wednesday's wedding on Thursday, um, I went away actually on Friday, Good Friday. And so I kind of cleared the decks, got my house in order so that I can actually stop and relax um, it's a really important thing to me that I can actually move away when I'm not at home working in work mode when I go away that I can actually relax um, and I was able to do that it was a really lovely weekend um, yes I did take some flowers with me but that's another story so I ordered candles for the end of the month and I was um, contacting the um, the wholesaler who I buy them from and sort of organizing their delivery points I, I like to have all my ducks in a row if I am 
am going away, which I am. Um, on Friday, I'm going to be going away again, um, following my husband who has some work. He's actually working, um, but I've always wanted to go to Copenhagen. And so I'm tagging on, actually, on the coattails of my husband's job. He's actually working five days um, and I'm going to be swanning around Copenhagen Um Although I am bringing my laptop with me, I have got some um, scheduled in Zoom calls. So I will be taking my diary and my notebook with me. Um, but I'm able to go out and, um, yeah, it's going to be a different setup mentally. Although I'll, I'll feed back on that because I've not worked in this way before. But this is part of my drive to kind of get more of a work-life balance during my wedding season. It's all work very often and not very much play. And I'm really determined this year to kind of get on top of it and um, and try and make an effort to, yeah, get my work-life balance back on track. But I wanted to talk to you whilst I was in the office. Um, I wanted to start with flower of the week. Um, and my flower of the week is the very humble bluebell. Um, Oh, what can I say about the bluebell? You either tell me first off, oh my God, the Spanish species is taking over the English one. And yes, indeed, it is true. Um, I've made some notes here on the little bluebell. What can I tell you about it? Um, it's a perennial. Um, it's most commonly found in woodlands, um, in fields and in hedgerows. Um, and it's a little bulb. It actually is a little bulb. And it flowers predominantly in April through to May. Um, and again, depending on how warm it is, um, as to whether how early they, they arrive. Um, we are in the middle of April, or just edging towards the middle of April for day 11. And my, um, my bluebells are already up and flowering in my garden in fact I picked some yesterday there's a there's a sort of a, a blend of the Spanish and the English um, so they're sort of I have got English bluebells in my garden but I also have Spanish bluebells um, and I've tried and my gardeners have tried to pull as many of them up as possible. Um, but actually, I think it's a losing battle. I think the gene pool eventually will be a combination of Spanish and English. So, you, um, And the difference is that the English bluebell, it looks downwards. It's got that lovely little nodding flower head that looks downwards, a bit like a hellebore looks down at the ground. Whereas the... Um, the Spanish bluebell, it's got flowers all along the head of the stem and they flower upwards and outwards. And so there is a distinct difference and they're much more robust and much more sturdy than an English bluebell, which is much more delicate. Its stem is much more delicate. Um, bluebells have a violet blue colour. And if you know anything about colour, um, blue is a very, very strong, dominant, look at me kind of colour. And uh, I just... I just love it. I, I, For me, I love the contrast of a blue with a red. So I love planting things like red tulips with muscari and bluebells. I just love that red-blue colour. It's just really strong and potent. So there are some pink variables and there are also some little white ones. I think they're probably not the dominant variant, but you do get the odd blue and white um, bluebell as well. And certainly they are cultivated blue and white ones. And I have bought white ones 
ones in the past. At this time of year, I had a client about 10 years ago who wanted to have Lily of the Valley tied on the, the pew ends of the church where she was getting married. And I knew it was going to be eye-wateringly expensive. And so what I did was I suggested that she have white bluebells, white bluebells, you know what I mean. Um, and I mixed it with a tiny, tiny little scattering of a few stems of Lily of the Valley. Um, but it gave us a fullness to the posies um, and the scent, obviously, of both the bluebell and the actual um, lily of the valley but i could have more i could buy more for my buck as it were so um yeah that, that remember that if you are asked to do something like that it's worth knowing what else can i tell you not very much really other than for me um, when I think of April I think of bluebells and if I think of an April colour I think of blue because of the bluebells I just absolutely love them and they smell really really beautiful and I've just pulled up I had a little um, done a little search here it says bluebells are native to Western Europe with the UK being a species stronghold and they are associated with ancient woodland and are often used in combination with other species as a clue that a wood is ancient well i didn't know that at all they reach their greatest densities in the uk woods where many thousands of bulbs can exist in one woodland creating an incredible blue carpet which we fondly it is true associate with spring um, they also grow along hedgerows which they do in my own garden and in fields but for me i am a kentish lass and um my fondest memories are walking the dogs with my mum um and actually even when my little brother was um a baby pushing the pram through the woods behind my parents house in just beautiful just like swathes of bluebells just carpets of bluebells very sadly a lot of those woodlands have been decimated um, but yeah there are some special places to go certainly in Wiltshire when I lived in Wiltshire I remember there was a few places we'd go on a bank holiday weekend to see those gorgeous blue carpets and the scent is magical absolutely magical yeah they're very very special and will forever steal my heart um if i can put them in anything i will i know that they're not everyone's cup of tea but for me as a wedding florist if i can incorporate them somewhere in the table centers they make great cut flowers actually i cut some uh, i pulled them actually i pulled them from the bottom pull them up um, and just put them in vases of uh, with daffodils and tulips is what I've got them on my kitchen table at the moment um, I just love them I absolutely love them so yeah had to be my flower of the week the bluebell because they are up and blooming gorgeous week's question from the mailbag comes from Joanne and she direct messaged me and she said hi Linz how do you attract the right customer I know who I want to attract but I'm unsure how to reach them um well that's a really great question and the first thing I'd say is um who is your perfect customer um, and why ask yourself why are they your perfect customer and who are the people that you don't want to attract and and why is it ask yourself why is it I don't want to attract them is it just because they've got small budgets or you think they don't have good taste um, I've become quite philosophical over this over the years I think we can be a bit over choosy um, and um, I would also say that in a recession that we're currently in, I don't think we should be too overly ambitious. Um, 
And equally, I'd say that to any new florist starting out who's trying to establish themselves. So the other thing you need to ask yourself is who's your competition? Whose clients do you really admire? You know, which are the florists that you think, oh my gosh, they always have amazing clients. And why is it that they get those clients? It might be something really straightforward, like they are on a preferred suppliers list. And maybe you should approach those venues and see if there is a way in. Now, bear in mind, sometimes there is a cost to that. But let's not go into that now. So yeah, who's your competition? Who are the florists and the businesses that you particularly think, gosh, I want to have some of them, some of their customers and look at their businesses. Okay. Look at them really, really carefully and ask yourself, how do they get those clients? And what is it about their service that they are doing that gets those clients? Because the answers may be right in front of you, okay? So yeah, your competition is really, really important. I do think that in a recession that there will be clients that may well want to go to the for the cheapest option. But I would argue that good businesses, really good successful businesses have a really good reputation and they will um, bend and they will shape shift and change to suit the current situations. OK, good businesses that have a long lasting reputation are staying the course for good reason. OK, they probably have not stuck their heads up so high um, that they think they everything else is beneath them. They are always moving and looking at the competition and they are evolving and changing. And I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind is as you're growing a little business, you constantly have to evolve constantly. So look to people for inspiration, um, fellow florists, people that you really are envious about their businesses. What is it that they're doing that's so good? Yes, you could just say, oh, well, they just make beautiful flowers and they just get to do great gigs. But there must be something more than that for them to get those great gigs. So find some role models and think about what it is that you like about them and what they're, what specifically are they offering? Equally, kind of getting on board and maybe freelancing with good florist businesses, um, find a decent mentor. I think that's really, really important. And you don't have to have a, a, a like a business relationship with them. Just find those florists that are creating beautiful flowers that inspire you, that you, you cover and you want to do yourself. Um, because good mentors are really, really important in, in kind of molding yourself and thinking, yeah, I want, I want to be like that. They're doing it right. So think about those things. Um, I think it's really important that how can I say this? For myself, I would say that every customer has a value to me. Every customer. I don't just look at people and think I'm not interested. So I know amongst florists, everybody makes jokes about jip weddings. And at the same time, you know, if you don't have many weddings in your diary, are you going to walk away from a, a, an all-jip wedding? Can you afford to walk away from an all-jip wedding? Would it not be better that you actually deliver that service? No, you don't have to put it in your shop window, in your social media and say, look what I did. But if it's paying you to do the flowers, it's earning you a living, then I wouldn't turn my back on it. I really, really wouldn't. And I know that's probably quite controversial, but business is business, okay? What you do put in your shop window and you put on your social media are the sorts of weddings that you really want to get. So you you take lots of pictures, you work closely with the photographers and you get images of those weddings. 
so that you can promote them. You can put them on your website. You can use them in your social media to show potential customers what you're capable of. And you need to be engaging and you need to be courteous. And you're never, ever, ever more important than the customer. And it doesn't matter what that customer does or says. You know, very often people come along and ask you what a deal is and you might go, I don't do deals. But you need to politely explain how you work. So I can only talk from my own experience. And I think there are a couple of keywords that would describe my business and who I am as a florist. And so I would say I am seasonally led and I am passionate about being generous with my arrangements. I don't do bargain cut price, minimal kind of special offers with, you know, simple arrangements done in, I don't know, just jip for argument's sake or a couple of Lysianthus. No, all of my weddings are bespoke and unique to the clients that I'm working with and they are very heavily led by the season and I will often introduce that into the conversation from the get-go. This is who I am and this is what I do. They may well walk away at some point and say we can't afford this and that's absolutely their prerogative to do so. So what I normally do is I introduce myself by way of a, a, a like a PDF so when they make contact if they hopefully they've read a little bit about me on my website or they've maybe looked in my galleries of my social media and they can see the sorts of flowers that I do and then they're going to reach out to me and make contact and they're going to say we're getting married on this date and are you available and so I can either go no I'm really sorry I wish you all the very best or I say yes I am available at that date and I would love to speak to you here's a little bit more information about me I always make the assumption that not everyone has read my website and they don't realize that I do have a minimum spend and I have a minimum spend and I've talked about this before so that I can do those kind of flowers that I want to do. I cannot earn a living if I fall below that minimum spend. I often say this as well. They want champagne on beer money and... I completely respect and understand that they don't understand how much flowers cost. They are a luxury thing. So I bring that to the table in that first instance. And I say to them, once you've read this PDF, um, this information about me and costs of flowers, etc, etc. If you'd like still to book a consultation with me, then you're very, very welcome. And we do a Zoom. And that Zoom isn't necessarily as personal as uh, doing something in person but very often it's more convenient if they are traveling or they're living a long way away from the venue which may be closer to me so I think it's really important that we um, establish ourselves as what we're doing and how we're doing it and very often they fall in love with the ideas and the flowers and they might give you mood boards and samples of what they would like and you fall in love with those mood boards and those images and then you need to put a price on it you need to work out how much it's going to cost and very often at that point I say to people well I don't necessarily say you know what's your maximum budget what I normally say is I'm going to give you everything absolutely everything that you've asked for and then when you see the final ballpark figure at the bottom you might think twice and it's up to you to kind of scale things back accordingly bearing in mind that I have got this minimum spend they've probably far exceeded it anyway and so they might have a couple of things that they've set their heart on and so what I often do during that first initial 
Zoom consultation is show them the things that can be repurposed. So you can take that pedestal arrangement and you can move it to here. You can take those PUNs and we can put them in little vases and we can move them to there. And I can give them ideas so they don't have to double up on things and spend more money than they really need to. And I think that's a really important thing. Even on a luxurious, abundant wedding, it's really important to get mileage out of those luxurious and abundant flower arrangements. So set your stall up, show your face, show your work. I can't emphasize that enough. If you don't have a body of work, then maybe arrange a styled shoot so that you can actually have lots of images of work that you can show your potential clients. And maybe if you're starting out and you're just establishing yourself, maybe you are charging less than maybe some of the other competitors in the market. But if you're starting out, you want to get your foot in the door. And, um, you know, as a as a florist that charges what I charge because I've been doing it a long time. Yeah, it's kind of really frustrating when you've quoted for something and somebody's come in, put their foot in the door and won the business. But do you know what? That is what you need to do to attract the right customers is to get in there. Okay, so don't kind of have delusions of grandeur from the get go. Yes, you know who your clients are, but you need to kind of get a body of work. You need to start putting your flowers out there, going to the venues, getting jobs at the venues where you want to potentially work. You need to be working with the wedding planners that, you know, you think you want to work with. It's really, really important to get yourself in there. And then once you feel like you've got a body of work and actually you really don't want to be doing it for that amount of money, you want to be charging this amount of money, then maybe that's just the next job up. Then you start saying, no, it's not negotiable. This is how much it's going to be because this is how much it has to be because of the cost of the flowers, because of the distance I'm traveling, because of the number of florists I'm using, etc, etc. So then you justify your costs. So it's not a cut and dry one answer to this question. Um, It's a slow burn. It's a circuitous route. There are lots of elements that you need to kind of consider to win the business. But you've got to have a bit of bare fate cheek. You've got to be a bit ballsy. You've got to turn up and show up. You've got to get used to being shown the door. No, thanks. We don't need any new preferred supplies. Thank you very much. No, I think I want that florist over there because I love what she does. Well, you know what? If they gave me a chance, if only they gave me a chance, I could do that too. Someone is going to give you the chance, okay? Someone is going to give you that break and you're going to have that body of work to then show other people and honestly you just have to get yourself out there when I started floristry it wasn't like it is now everything's about social media and putting across as much as you can online and for a lot of florists it's really inhibiting and intimidating to feel like they have to put themselves out there it's not about putting your face necessarily out there it's more about just showing what you're capable of doing. And even if that means that you're freelancing a little bit to get more skills, to skill yourself up, to see how other florists are doing it, to know I can do that better. You know, I would use this flower, I would use that flower, then do it. It doesn't have to be unkind. As I say, there are there's work for everybody and you have to start somewhere. So don't sort of throw yourself at the top end. You need to kind of cut your teeth, um, learn how to deal with the clients, familiarise yourself with the flowers and the styles that are available. Um, don't kind of put yourself in a niche at the very, very beginning. You need to be open to options. You need to be, I would say, in my experience, you need to be versatile. Versatility 
quantity is absolutely crucial to win business and to stay in business throughout a year, through recessions. You have to be able to 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 shape shift, to change your spots, to do what the customer wants, to swallow your pride sometimes and take a job that ordinarily you wouldn't want to do. But hey, you know what? This is business. It's just not when you if you're you're working for yourself, you're generating your own business. You unless you are. I don't know anyone that doesn't do that. Actually, I was about to say unless you're whoever. But no, everybody starts somewhere. And once you've established yourself and you have that reputation and you've got a body of weddings behind you where clients have seen your work and are recommending you until that point, you just have to keep on going, pushing forward, whatever happens. So, Joanne, there's a very long-winded answer. Um, I'm sure there are lots of other things that I've forgotten, but that's just, you know, a few things that I I scribbled down now. Um, Don't be, uh, don't sort of, don't be afraid to, for people to say no. You know, that's the, my husband always says that. What's the worst thing that can happen? They'll say no. If you prepare yourself for a a no, then it's much less deflating. Um, And then when they say yes, you're like, oh, oh my God, they said yes. Oh my gosh. And it's so, it's such a thrill. I think the other things I would say is politeness and kindness and generosity go everywhere with me. I think it's really, really important that we are polite and kind. And for me personally, good customer service is, is honest dialogue. You know, I don't always talk about the budget that the client has. I have a minimum spend, which is essentially a guide to enable me to do the best version of me. And I don't want to do any less than the best version of me. And when I say about a minimum budget, the other thing I'm going to add in here is um, when people are booking six months, a year in advance, the minimum budget is really important because I'm not going to get out of bed and do a wedding that's just going to be a few bouquets and buttonholes. And I completely respect and I think it is nothing wrong with not having any flowers on your table, okay? I'm just saying that now. Um, Some people, it's just not important. And actually, just to have a bouquet to, to hold to walk down the aisle is something they think about sort of lastminute.com and very often in the year of uh, of doing weddings so at this moment 2023 um i get short notice emails coming in saying i'm getting married in, i mean we're in april we're getting married in july are you able to do my bouquet i don't want any table flowers but i just want a bouquet and two buttonholes if i'm working that weekend it is absolutely no problem whatsoever i'm going to have a, an order of flowers coming in regardless so i may as well add in an extra buttonhole and a couple of and a bouquet or bridesmaids bouquets or a flower crown whatever i'm really happy to do that and so i do accommodate those those clients but i have to be working that week on on a bit on a bigger wedding and so i never say never it's all business at the end of the day but what i don't want to do is just do a couple of bouquets and a buttonhole and then that's it for the whole weekend and i can't go anywhere or do anything because i had to get those flowers in and i'm barely going to make my minimum spend from the wholesaler that all of those things sort of lean me towards having a minimum spend to enable me to be the best version of a luxury event florist that I can be. And I know who my client group is. I know the typical 
physical person that is going to book me. Um, and within that personal, that sort of body of, of clients that typically book me, I'm going to have a few left, uh, left to centre, you know, left field clients. And that's fine. I like them. They kind of, you know, push me out of my comfort zone. Um, I love the fact, I'm humbled by the fact that they couldn't give us stuff about the flowers. It's just like, yeah, I need a bouquet lens. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Very often what you do in the process is because you're enthusiastic and you can go, oh, I just love that. Oh, that's going to look amazing. Can I do this? Can I do that? Yes, Linz, because they're not really, they've not poured over the Pinterest boards and the wedding magazines. They just trust you to give them a beautiful bunch of flowers. And sometimes they can be absolute showstoppers and win the hearts of millions on social media. And so therefore, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. But, you know, kind of set yourself a, a sort of a list of important factors. Um, go and knock on those doors and reach out and, and show your work. That's all I'm going to say. That's it. Good luck, Joanne. <laughs> Following on from the cost of flowers um, discussion that I had on my last podcast, um, I am in the process at the moment because I have done two weddings is I'm looking at the cost of the flowers and I'm comparing what I've charged because obviously those clients had booked me last year and what I'm paying for the flowers and I'll not lie it's eye-watering. I'm really, really struggling with, you know, not struggling, that's a strong word. Um, I'm looking, I'm scrutinising what is worth the money and where I'm sort of scrimping and saving and kind of, and padding out with other things. I think it's really important um, that I'm constantly reviewing. Um, One of the things that I have in my terms and conditions is um, I have a little clause in there that says, if you're booking me more than eight, um, six months in advance, I reserve the right to adjust your proposal and I don't do that lightly. I really, really don't. I really have to feel like that the proposal was so far off the mark that I'm absolutely going to make a loss. Um, and where possible, I will have a conversation with my client. It's an r- extremely rare occasion that I do actually have to do that. So um, keep your offering clear is one of the things and, and be simple with what you're actually offering on your proposal. If you list specific flowers, you're tying yourself in. And if those flowers are super, super expensive when you go to buy them at market, then you, you've got your hands tied behind your back. Um, if you're offering um, more of an aesthetic, so I don't over promise anything. I'm looking for flowers. Um, when I write on my proposal, it's a loose kind of interpretation of the brief um, and I'm not promising anything and I make a point of explaining to my clients I'm not going to promise you anything. Um, Yes I know there are going to be key um, really popular varieties of flowers that everyone the whole world and his wife is going to want in their bouquets and if I can afford it I will put it in there. Um, If I think the whole wedding is hinging on that particular variety of rose then yeah I'm going to put it in there come what may but I might have to um, rob Peter to pay Paul to do that. Um, So I think that's really, really important. The other thing I wanted to um, say is I'm still working really, really hard on my work-life balance and I'm trying to um, separate work and not working. Um, And that is, I think, an ongoing struggle for me. Um, When you're in the wedding season, 
it's really hard to step out of it. Um, but I'm, I will keep you abreast of that. This month, I have done two weddings. And then I haven't got another wedding until the end of this month. Um, and in that time, I'm going to go be going away on two trips, one with my husband, and I am bringing the laptop, as I said earlier, with me um, to do some sort of Zoom consultations and update proposals and stuff during that week we're away. Um, and I'm also then going on a work trip with my colleague to see my wholesaler in Holland to see the two tulips and the hyacinths and and just have a lovely kind of um well I just think it it adds value and it in it sort of enriches what I do is to connect with the people that grow the flowers that I buy um and so I will be using that um as a as a time for my for my co-florist uh fee and myself to kind of just kind of really get to grips with what is the difference between Dutch grown flowers you know the tulips that they're so flipping good at and the English tulips that are so flipping gorgeous here um well i can tell you for one thing it's cost it's always going to be cost and in a recession i'm not here as a charity i'm here to run a business and to make a profit and to pay myself an actual living wage and so i'm just saying right now that i am shopping around and i'm looking at prices of english flower growers and you know what guys they're seriously expensive and a lot of them i just don't know how they're gonna this it feels like they're retail prices i'm not saying everyone but i have been doing some comparisons myself and fee and we've we've been quite horrified actually and so i think ultimately i'm going to be putting my business where i get most value and where possible that will be here in the uk with my local growers and they know who they are and i trust them and i i want to support them but not at any cost not at any cost I don't just do it for the sake of going and waving a Union Jack flag. I absolutely don't. I do it because environmentally it's better. Um, but ultimately, I'm in a wedding florist and my clients don't always they don't really care necessarily where the flowers come from. It's a lovely notion that they're growing down the road. But do they really care? Mm, most of them, 90 percent of them don't. They really, really don't. And so um, I'm having to cut my cloth very carefully this year. So, yeah, there's lots of things going on in my head at the moment. But I thought it would be nice for you just to kind of, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth. A working, jobbing event florist. I'm a florist teacher. So I'm hearing all of this from my, from my, um, my you know, the, the florist that I'm mentoring. How difficult it is to, you know, cut your cloth when you've quoted for a wedding a year in advance and then there is your pot of money and somehow you've got to make it you know into a beautiful floral display and pay yourself a living wage <laughs> if you think it's easy it's so so isn't so yeah you're going to be hearing more along the way i'm sure um, but now i'm just looking i think i'm actually going to have to just um, get my wellies on and get my waterproofs on and go and walk the dog speak soon I'm here at Greenham Common and um, I forgot the muffler slash growler furry thing that goes on top of my phone. Um, I'm whirling like a dervish today. Um, today it's Thursday. I've got no wedding this weekend. I've got two weekends without weddings. Hurrah. Um, and I'm trying to live up to my mantra of um, getting my work-life balance sorted. My husband had an opportunity, well, he was told by his company that he was going to Copenhagen to speak at a conference. Um, the conference is actually running over a weekend and he knows how much I've always wanted to go to Copenhagen. So, um, bought me a ticket because of 
the lack of weddings in my diary. Um, it's not all play. I am going with a laptop. I'm going with, you know, spreadsheets and and diaries and, and workbooks so that I can prepare my flower orders for the coming weddings. May is manic. Um, in fact, April bumps into May collides with three weddings quite close together um so I've got all things already on order and I just need to kind of sit down and ponder my flower orders and flower allocations just so that I can click onto the web shop and buy um uh, sort of when I get home it's two weeks two lovely weeks I'm flying to Copenhagen tomorrow. I'm not coming home to the following Friday. Home for the weekend. Um, have a small local venue, which I've um, been in association with for very many years. And they're all about locally sourced food. Um, and they're, one of their venues is a pub. And I am going to be arranging some flowers there they're offering small weddings which as you know ordinarily is not something that I don't do but I just think something small and bespoke I can probably arrange and I wanted to promote seasonal flowers so I'm just doing two table centres for their little Maharaja tent in the pub garden um, just promoting seasonality which will complement their whole ethos and food perfectly so that's on the 23rd and then I literally get up at the crack of dawn because Fee and I my co-florist we're tootling off to um, Holland the week after next to see the tulips and the hyacinth fields with um, my wholesaler Hook Flowers who are a fantastic company and are really 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 fantastic in engaging with their florist customers um, they love to take us to the fields where the flowers are grown. It's lovely to witness the fantastic relationship that they have with their growers. And so I'm hoping to record some sort of podcast. I don't know. It's maybe a little kind of diary thing. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be doing that the following week for two days. It's a bit of a, a whirlwind tour. We get up at the crack of dawn or as my family say, when the sparrows are farting, and um, tootling off on the Monday, Tuesday, coming back Tuesday night. Uh, we've got a commercial job on the the uh, Wednesday, so the flowers will need to be in for that. And, um, oh, it's getting windy. Nick's going to tell me off. And then um, we're straight heading into the last weekend of April, and we've got a beautiful wedding. Um, so, yes. Yes, over on Extra Snippings, I'm going to be talking about props and how I, you know, how many props to order, um, what things should you keep a stock and what things you shouldn't keep a stock, or my thoughts on that anyway. Um, so yes, I am whirling today. Dog's going to be dropped off at the, well, she's going to a house where they, a bit like a childminder, it's a dogminder. She's staying for the week, so I've got to drop her off shortly. Um, I've got a couple of Zoom consultations. Today, um, oh yes, autumn wedding later on this year. Very exciting. Um, so new consultation with a couple. I've got a consultation about funeral flowers for May. And I've got one, another run through with a client who's booked me for a July wedding this year. So um, yeah, lots to do. Um, suitcase, of course, not packed yet. But um, oh, 
we'll get there. I know it's a very, very early rise, something like 4am tomorrow morning. So I'm just giving Maple a quick hoon. Um, we've, we've been busy this morning, actually, um, collecting deliveries. My candles, actually I was out yesterday and the candles for one of my weddings were delivered. Um, well, weren't delivered because I was out. Normally they leave them at my porch, but they didn't. Um, And they're currently on a van somewhere. I'm a bit anxious I get them before I go because uh, candles are really expensive. And obviously all the colours are bespoke to this particular wedding, so I'm quite eager to get hold of my parcel. Um, Yeah, so that's about it for me. I hope you found this week's episode interesting and I look forward to sharing with you in a couple of weeks' time our trip to Holland. And, um, yeah, I'm going to go and uh, record the Extra Snippings podcast now. As I say, all about props. What do you buy and what do you get your customers to buy? (laughs) Speak soon. Lindsay is back in two weeks. And if you'd like to have a question answered in the mailbag part of the show, write to Linz via Instagram at thewhitehorseflower. On our Patreon channel, you can hear Extra Snippings. And today, Linz shares thoughts about props and stock, the important behind-the-scenes trinkets of being an event florist, and what to invest in as you set out. <laughs>